Hello, and welcome to episode 120 of the Implant Games Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Genthy, and with me, my co-host, Matthew Schultz. How are you, Matthew? Well, uh, not as good as last weekend, or last uh, recording, obviously. <laughs> uh, nothing nothing too exciting. Another turbo duo? <laughs> not, no. Uh, oh, I, d- man. I did go back to the Goodwill a whole bunch, um, hoping that <laughs> I'd find some uh, Super CD games on the shelves in the CDs. Yeah. Um, kind of looking for that uh, that stripe that's on the the spine of the the discs and didn't didn't find any unfortunately. I used to a long time ago. I'd go through the Goodwill CDs and I would always look for like the NTSC logo for uh, Dreamcast or PlayStation games that might be in there. And I found a few that way, but even now I just never see it anymore. But I did find I have found a lot of games that way. Yeah, um, the last one I found was actually a, the misprinted Final Fantasy VII. Um, cool. complete, but that that was actually quite some time ago. I haven't had any luck doing that. I still do it. Um, but, uh, you know, I never ask you how you're doing. You, you always start the podcast uh, <laughs> off and you say, how, how are you? How, how are you doing? And I'm like, I'm great. And then just nothing. But how are you doing? I, life is good. I, uh, I survived Sonic Heroes. Uh, so that is, uh, off into the world. And I, I probably don't have to play Sonic Heroes ever again. So that's <laughs> nice. Um, I've had some really good YouTube algorithm luck lately, so I think that video has already cleared 8,000 views, which is very unusual for me. And uh, yeah, I've been really excited over the last seven days. Um, For anybody out there that cares about that type of stuff, if you go to Social Blade, search for Implant Games, uh, it's been kind of an exciting week, and uh, I hope the, the trending can continue and it's not just some sort of fluke. That's awesome. So yeah, uh, that's done. Channel's doing good. I'm happy. Well, can't ask for for more than that. <laughs> I'm also happy because unexpectedly, uh, last Wednesday, uh, my AVS was uh, in my mailbox. <laughs> that's I uh, I've been keeping tabs on the retro USB AVS, the um, FPGA NES clone, and uh, I kind of missed their post about it shipping on September 11th, and uh, so on September 13th, it was sitting in my mailbox. Oh, that. That must have been really nice. Actually, kind of a nice surprise. Better than waiting and knowing it's coming and then checking shipping yeah. and seeing it get delayed or something like that. It was, yeah, just uh, I don't think um, I don't think I got an email um, telling me, giving me a tracking number or anything. It was just like all of a sudden I get home. I have to, uh, it was Wednesday, so I had to record, I had to record, I had to edit video. Um, but I, I got home and there was that nice surprise waiting for me. Um, so I haven't gotten to play it as much as I want, maybe a couple of hours now. Um, but it is pretty much as awesome as you would expect. Um, uh, a proper NES HDMI digital FPGA clone to be. Um, Do you plan on doing a like a an individual hardware review or something like that for the channel? I don't. Uh, I don't really. It's hard because I don't have. I don't think I have the tools I would need, and I don't think I have the creative vision to make a really amazing AVS hardware review. Mm. Like if you look at the videos specifically done by um, like GameSack or or My Life in Gaming with their their spinning Lazy Susans and their yeah, proper lighting true. setups and spinning, and I don't 
think I want to do a video that isn't, you know, as good or, or better than what other people have done. So I don't know if I ever will, to be honest with you. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, they're, they, you're kind of right. They're, there's already sort of the staple and, you know, being in YouTube, you know, that those are the ones showing up at the top of the results because they already have the views. And, and if they're the best, then they're going to stay at the top. Yeah. So that's kind of my thought. Um, obviously, talking about it like this in an unscripted environment is a lot different um, and more interesting and, and maybe more telling. But it took me a while to kind of decide if I wanted to play games in four by three um, or if I wanted the, the pixel ratio one to one. Usually for like the frame Meister, I don't know how you do it, but I always preferred one to one. So yeah. squishing SNES footage a little bit, stretching genesis footage a little bit because i would say 95 percent of the time it does not seem the artists took into effect the four by three aspect ratio of tvs uh, the only companies that really seem to are maybe konami maybe konami and then none else even come up to mind yeah the other the other benefit of doing it that way too is you get a smaller capture size as well uh, for the actual files. <laughs> I record at like 20 megs a sec, which should be <laughs> more than enough. The other thing, though, is it's all digital, unlike the Framemeister, which is analog. So doing the one-to-one pixel ratio, you kind of get rid of the shimmering. All the horizontal scrolling is smooth instead of kind of jittery. Yeah. Have you messed... Um, so I c- oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, uh, have you messed around with the, any of the scan? <laughs> the AVS has scanline yes. mocking. Is it any good? I have no... I didn't play with it at all, to be honest okay. with you. I, I haven't probably turned on the Framemeister scan lines in a while. Um, I used to when I, did, when I didn't make a lot of videos, mm-hmm. um, and I've, I found it... I thought it was visually pleasing, especially once you get a few feet away from the TV. Yeah. I thought it looked really nice, but now, not so much. Yeah, when I'm... If I'm playing, um, say, something on... Maybe the the retro pie or basically if I'm playing something for fun and I know that it was made in an era when scan lines were the expected, uh, you know, the way that you were going to see the image, then I'll definitely turn them on just because it's and it's not it's not really a nostalgia for me. I feel like it does have a sort of pixel doubling effect. And I think a lot of the, the artwork was um made obviously made with that in mind because those were the exact kind of monitors they were looking at and seeing the results of their the pixel art with um so yeah i definitely prefer to have that on when i'm uh, i find like text specifically text uh text yeah <laughs> words <laughs> and uh anything like on the hud like scores and life bars and stuff like that i find looks better with the scan lines i don't know why there's just something about it that uh, yeah i guess you're right it kind of in a way doubles the resolution something about it looks appealing to me um especially with text and numbers yeah it's interesting um so yeah i i've been slowly trying to beat the original castlevania on the nes and i still haven't gotten there <laughs> those commit those committal jumps it's not it's the the hard part is it's like a game where once you know like once you can beat it you can just like you can just watch people just breeze through the game in 25 minutes yeah but it's when you die in castlevania you're taken back to a checkpoint and you don't necessarily won't some checkpoints just don't have the right weapon that you need to get through an area Mm. so like I can breeze through an area and then if I screw up, uh, I get taken back to a spot and then I just hit that wall that I can't get past. Um, someday I'll beat it. I'm confident. 
but it, it's been really fun because I've been playing it on the NES just as practice or a time waster. And I've been playing it on a CRT, an original NES composite video. And some things are hard to see specifically like the candles or the items that you know you whip to to fill up your magic and uh it's been fun to have that fresh in my mind and then play castlevania on the avs and then like not have any issues seeing everything on the screen (laughs) and that game has like a lot of reds and browns that um look really bad over nes composite they get real blurry um a lot of dot crawl along the edges and the nes already has some weird composite outputs so the the visual upgrade is pretty dramatic yeah especially in that game with the color selections yeah that i i don't know why that it, it always seems like a dense um visually it just feels like there's a lot of information going on there um at least the, the castlevania series on the uh, it really for a 1986 game it is kind of amazing that they've basically like you look at super mario brothers it's either a blue screen in the background or a black screen in the background and not much going on but you look at castlevania and the whole screen is just filled it's kind of amazing yeah it really is it's it's impressive i'm i i suspect you know we've seen a lot of these videos and didn't talk about them in the, in the past couple of episodes about how they you know, uh, got the most out of out of the NES, but I think there's a lot of extra um, reusing of of palettes to create uh, different sort of texture effects and things like that in that, in that game in particular. Um, but yeah, it's it's really amazing. Um, I I always felt that way with that game was that the the background in particular really stood out to me. Um, yeah, and it created a, an an ambience that. Uh, for the time, was kind of not really experienced on uh, at least on the NES. Um, but there's just like little touches like I think it's stage four or stage three I don't really I don't have the game memorized yet but like you're walking along and then you see like the main tower in the background and like that's the only time you see it in that level and I, the map screen between levels doesn't make any sense to me but when you're actually traveling <laughs> through the levels it really does feel like you're making your way up Dracula's castle it's kind of amazing yeah it kind of it has like a Wily's castle where you're like what, <laughs> <Yeah>. what? <laughs> like doesn't Mega Man know the the fastest way from point A to B is a straight line? <laughs> like, and he's just yeah taking the zigzag what, you know path across. Right. What is he doing? <laughs> he's a robot. He should know this. And then uh, I oh and there's like no leg. There's no anything. It, it just works. You put it in. You turn it on. You have one menu screen. You press start. You're playing the game. It, it it's just fantastic. Really really fantastic. That's awesome. And then uh, I bought Kirby's Adventure a while back. Um, I haven't played it yet because I wanted to wait till I finally got the AVS. Um, so I did play that for a little bit yesterday. What, That's a game I remember playing as a kid, but I haven't played it in 20 years. How how much time would you say you spent on it? Was it kind of like... Uh, maybe maybe an hour. Okay. Well, I'm just curious. Like what, what, what was your... In that hour, what, did you have any like oh as a kid and now as an adult something you know is it different to you i don't remember the game like i remember the game existing i remember the cover art i remember the house with the friend that had the game but i i feel like we've played more ninja turtles and super mario brothers 3 and stuff like that and i just none of it felt familiar to me at all it was like brand new awesome but yeah very colorful game very opposite art direction of castlevania and And difficulty wise it's in a completely different direction (laughs) yeah it's not hard at all (laughs) i'm sure i think there's some hard bosses and i think 
or near the end, and I think uh, 100%ing the game may present a challenge, but it might just be a matter of looking it up in a guide, and it's not hard at all. I don't know. It's a it's a nice um, change of pace, because I think that's what I will be reviewing next, is Kirby Adventure. Oh, nice. Something a little more calm and a lot less stressful <laughs> <laughs> after uh, the the marathon of Sonic Heroes. So Yeah. It's like I'm a, excited. It's like a Go ahead. like a sweets or like a muffin or something. Like Kirby's Adventure is like this nice little treat. Yeah, it's a nice little treat instead of like <laughs> Sonic Heroes, which is like going out into the wild with like a, a pointy <laughs> stick and having to capture a boar. <laughs> going out into the bush. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm excited to put some more time into it, explore more of the features of the AVS, or maybe I won't explore more features. I'm kind of curious about the if I can change the colors. I know some work has been done getting more accurate um, colors to kind of match the composite output of the NES. Um, just a few things like that I'm interested in, but uh, I don't remember what it costs. You can just Google search retro USB, and it might even be retrousb.com. I'm not sure. Um, so I don't remember what it costs, but it, it's... Yeah, it's. I can't wait to visit some more NES games and and play them in, uh, you know, without emulation, but still, you know, digital perfect representation. Yeah, that's awesome. You think you'll so, you'll ever take advantage of the the four controller ports? I don't think so. <laughs> no. <laughs> I think I have Super Off Road. I don't even know if I have four controllers anymore. Like over the years, I've probably owned like eight NES controllers, and I've slowly sold them off. Um, and I think I probably only have two. Yeah. That's the last thing I wanted to mention in photos. It's hideous. It's a really ugly looking system in photos, but like in person, it doesn't look so weird. Yeah. It's, I, I suspect, um, because they're not a, a huge company necessarily. So I suspect they're limited by the, their own tools for, <laughs> for taking photographs and things like that. It is it is a trapezoid, so you kind of have to take a picture of the front, which then makes the front look even bigger than the back. Yeah. But like in person, it's more like an N64 and the the way the front and the back kind of interacts. Oh, I don't know. A, yeah, it, that's a good way of describing it. Actually, yeah, I can see it because the the sixty four has those little legs on the sides. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it, yeah. I think I think if you took a photo like you zoomed into it from far away, it would it would kind of less lessen the the harsh uh, yeah. lines that it seems to have. And like the analog NT, you know, has curves, which again kind of makes it look better. Or maybe that's not a trapezoid. I can't remember offhand, but I don't know. It looks goofy in photos, but in person, it looks like a million times better. I like, I held it in my hand. I'm like, this doesn't look so bad. Yeah. <laughs> what do you? I mean, so they're repurposing old NES hardware, right? They're they're taking. Nope. Oh no, that was the first run of the analog NT where okay. they took a couple of chips from somewhere and made their own board incorporating those. Um, but the new analog NT mini and the retro USB AVS are those FPGAs oh, okay. field programmable gate array chips. Okay. Where it's basically running a whole bunch of different things in parallel on like an emulator emulator, which does one thing at a time. Right. So it's basically recreating 
someone will correct me. <laughs> I don't think anyone can properly explain how it works. <laughs> but <laughs> not, it's basically the, the chips, are, the chips, these programmable chips are, you can basically program the, at the like behavior a silicon of, level. Yeah. Of, yeah. So it's basically acting like the whatever chip is in the NES, all of them. It's, it's basically recreating those at a much deeper level. Wow. That's, that's really cool. So that's why it is so perfect because if you, if it's programmed correctly, it's indistinguishable from real hardware awesome but i think they do use like emulation for some of the famicom games that have extra sound chips or something like or no maybe it's the gosh i don't know it does emulation for a couple of extra features but the actual core nes is all it's all there that's uh it's it's really interesting to see these these leaps and bounds happen with um with emulation i i feel like certain hardware is is just going to always be hard to emulate in the future. I mean, you have the weird motion engine stuff on the the PS2. Mm-hmm. Um, PS3 is even worse with the cell processor. Uh, Sony's not even bothering with backwards compatibility for that on the on the PS4. That's just not even possible. Um, but that that the world of emulation is really fascinating to me. Um, Anything that seems impossible, like the Sega Saturn in particular, it always oh that'll be too complicated. That'll be too complicated. And now Saturn emulation is extremely mature and good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting that that I mean that's beyond hobbyists, right? I mean you've got to be, um, you know, you've got to have some sort of like electrical engineering background but then as you get into the even the more modern hardware you have to have a background in in uh you know the way that silicone the way that a a chip's processor uh runs numbers and and all kinds of things like that that uh to make this stuff happen and and sometimes it's not even that sometimes uh, you know i've read some stuff about it and it's just some people brute forcing it and backwards engineering and going okay if i tell this thing this it gives me this and it's like all right from now on if i if it you know when when we're working on this i'll always make it respond that way the thing that i'm creating creating the emulation for so it's pretty fascinating um stuff but uh sorry to so yeah (laughs) so you what did you find at goodwill well i found a laser disc player and it's funny. I, is this your? F- it is my. I was f- going to ask if this was your first. It is my first. Um, and I'm. I okay. So, admittedly, the reason why I even considered getting one was because, you know, I do the eBay thing, and it's like if I ever come across laser discs, uh, I need something to test them in. If I was gonna, go. going to do something with them, um, but it's also kind of this. I have this weird memory of Laserdisc when I was a, when I was a kid in in third uh, had to be actually it was probably it was fifth grade um, where I was the official student allowed to put the Laserdisc in the player and hit the play <laughs> button and it was like this really big deal for some reason I don't quite understand <laughs> it um, but the, uh, I got one for four dollars and twenty five cents from nice. from the Goodwill it was it had been there for weeks. And um, I think it's depending on what, where you're going to Goodwill, but our Goodwills have a uh, color tag system where they alternate the yeah. sales. And then on Sundays, they have uh, 75% off um, the sticker that they're retiring for that for that uh, previous week. And so that was the pink stickers for, for this week. And it was still there. And you could anchor a boat with this thing. 
Yeah, they're huge. Yeah, and very, <laughs> very heavy. Uh, it's it's pretty pretty impressive. Um, Do you know what model it is or no? Uh, I don't. It's out in the living room right now. Okay. I don't have a picture of it, but uh, I think it's... I want to say it's a Panasonic, but I, I could be wrong. Um, but... I I'm hoping I haven't even turned it on. I'm hoping that when I do that there's a laser disc in it and it's like, hey, you know, I'll be able to make sure it works and everything like that. And know that that I have something that works. But uh, for four dollars, it's I'm not complaining. And no, um, <laughs> there I, are people listening right now that would kill to find a laser disc player in the wild, period, let alone for four dollars. Yeah. So so that was a cool, cool little thing. Um and then I guess I have a little update on my whole Plex journey. Uh, yes. Yes, I've moved. I've moved the server onto a new computer, and there's been some recent updates to the to the software, and I'm loving it. I I I'm. Well, how do I put this? Um, I don't know. It's revelatory for me because it helps me eliminate a lot of additional. I live on a pretty small income being self-employed. And so any way I can cut, you know, a subscription from uh, something, yes. the better. And so um, I'm just, I'm digging it at the, I, I don't know. I don't know how else to put it, but um, they're, they're just. So are you living right now? completely on over the air yeah presently every once in a while i'll call up my mom and be like hey can i borrow your netflix login uh you know you know to watch something or whatever (laughs) but for some reason as i've gotten older i i I know a lot of people who by happenstance have their friends netflix login or something like that i'm sure that's very common yeah or hbo login or other things um, but I definitely, you know, if I'm going to talk about markets and letting them speak and things like that, then I need to practice what I preach. And, and so I, I don't, I don't do that. I, I easily could, I, I know. And I, you know, I just mentioned hey, every once in a while I'll borrow my mom's login, but that's, that's to watch one-offs and, and things like that, I guess. But, uh, for the most part, it's just, you know, I just want to try to, to, um, live, live by example, I guess, as much, much as I can. And, um, it's, I'm finding I'm, I've become obsessed with this Japanese, uh, channel that I have, uh, over the air, <laughs> with, uh, especially with what's going on in, in the world right now and everything. But the, yeah. the, there's a cool top gear type show that is, uh, Japanese car centric. It's called Sam- awesome. Samurai Cars. <laughs> and is it in English or Japanese? The best part is that it is both. Uh, one of the co-hosts oh. is this British dude, and so you got this tall British dude, uh, relatively speaking, compared compared to the other co-host who speaks in Japanese and is dubbed. And so it's got this weird, like it has this character to it uh, that's just I find I don't know. I'm, I'm fascinated by it and and all these weird shows and stuff on it. So I'm <laughs> I'm going down this rabbit hole with all these things that I can't really share with anyone because they'll never never have any idea of what I'm talking about. And uh, America's Test Kitchen. I'm like, anyways, it doesn't matter. But. I've yeah, that's that's what the Create Channel, which is like a sub channel of PBS. Yeah, yeah. These are something like that. Yeah, these are all uh, sub sub PBS stuff. Yeah, not not the not the primary <laughs> PBS, but. Uh, I'm digging it, and I I just I would encourage anyone to just try it out. If you have a DVD collection and you're looking to to pare things down and maybe rip your collection and have a way to watch it like Netflix, um, this is a good way to do it. Is uh, getting something like Plex and 
I'm ripping your stuff. It's, you know, all you need is a computer that you just leave on. Most people, that's everyone seems like now. Um, and yeah, uh, it's, <laughs> I just can't get over it. I can't, I just can't get over it. Anyways, that's, I got to put the, I remember when we first bought this house. So almost two years ago, we uh, like, <laughs> we bought a house that was just slightly more than we could afford. And so we kind of had to figure out, okay, how are we going to save $400 a month? Cause that's what the difference between the rent and then the mortgage would be. And just even like little things like, um, like I canceled, uh, the um the loot crate um we canceled yeah. i canceled my xbox live account we had two accounts one for me one for the kids canceled my xbox live account canceled sling and it's like that right there is like 50 bucks like oh there we go that's 50 dollars a month and it didn't even hurt yeah yeah <laughs> it's i think for a lot comes, of you just start looking at all, all the money you spend. Like, God, this is so stupid. This is like one hundred and fifty dollars just wasted. Why do I do this? Yeah, and it's all on autopilot. And it, I think mm-hmm. I think we're all susceptible to that. And and uh, th- that's one thing about. I was living a comfortable um, middle class job. I, I ha- mm-hmm. you know I was fine, but I just couldn't do the corporate uh, thing anymore. I was kind of tired of it. And yeah, and uh, and so this mental mentally is it's kind of the same as going on a diet health wise where yeah. you know you're you're it's cut, a lifestyle change exactly <laughs> you're you're cutting out something and you a feel consumption the, lifestyle change <laughs> exactly um and you know now it's it's really lots of penny pinching and, and stuff like that but this this thing has been a lifesaver because there's still that itch to have something on every once in a while and that kind of thing. And so I'm, I'm able to do that with this uh, fairly simply. But up front, there was... It's funny you say that. I think I just watched... Um, Sony has a service called Crackle, which is like their streaming service. And it's for a lot of movies, I think they have the publishing rights to and it's free. Mm-hmm. And so like me and, you know, we talked about watching Terminator and then Terminator 2. Well, I hadn't seen Terminator 3 since it came out and my wife had never seen it. And the only service it was on was Crackle, the free service from Sony. Nice. What, um, I don't want to keep going about our, 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 this stuff, but, uh, what'd you think of Terminator 3? I thought it was the only Terminator 3 that it could be. Like, it was almost, in a way, it was, like, extremely meta. Yeah. Like, this is Terminator 3. We already told you what Terminator 3 was going to be in the last two movies, and this is what it is. And in a way, I thought it was kind of... I thought it was kind of amazing in that way. I, like, I dug the ending. I actually liked how... Because you know how it's going to end, but then it, it sort of does it at the same time, and you're like, I don't know why I found it really satisfying. Um, even though it's because watching it, you're like, this is like, there is no other, this is Terminator three. It's, it's like aware of what it is and it can't be anything else. That's true. So I remember people not really liking it and, you know, just because it didn't really change what the first two movies said it was going to be. But I, now like that it's been so long, I kind of like it that way. Yeah. Uh, John Connor was likable. the The new robot was kind of weak, if I'm honest. Yeah, but I think that was... the Terminator was fine. But the the other one, the lady, and it wasn't her. It was just a lame robot. Like she can turn into mechanical machines. <laughs> yeah, and it's never really utilized in a way like that should be terrifying. And it never really was that scary. But like the story as a whole, I thought was great. Yeah, I I I was surprised when I because I saw it in the theaters. I think. And it sort of, at first I was like, oh man, this, you know, I'm, 
I kind of had those same thoughts, but when the ending, for some reason, when the ending rolled around, even though you know it's coming, yeah, it, it really, hit me. Yeah, that's when I, back. I don't know if we rented it or if I saw it in theaters back in the day, but I remember like thinking, eh, whatever. And then the ending, I'm like, oh, that's so genius. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> and then watching it for just the second time in my life, I, I still thought it was great. Yeah. Alrighty, so let me move on. I wasn't sure if I was going to talk about this or not, but this was like the most weird, like, this is a really small world. So I lived uh, as a child. I I went to school in Green Bay, Wisconsin for just three years, and it wasn't in Green Bay. Excuse me. It was in one of the suburbs of Green Bay, and this was like, we're talking third, fourth, and fifth grade. So for me, that would have been 92 through 95. Okay. And so that's like, you know, well over 20 years ago. So just three years, I never, of course, there was no internet back then. So I didn't stay in touch with any of those people. Um, um, I think I'm friends with one of them on Facebook now, just cause I ran into him on record store day, weirdly enough. And he recognized me. <laughs> it's very <laughs> weird, uh, but that's not the point. So I only came here for three years. Um, and when I moved back to green Bay as an adult, I, you know, had to start all my friendships over from scratch. And, uh, so that, that kind of brings us to before I started working on the YouTube channel, like hardcore, um, I started working on some projects for a local company, a local game store, not a video game store, like a board game store, like, uh, yeah, board games, Magic the Gathering cards, uh, stuff like that, and probably did some marketing materials for them for about six months, and it was kind of disorganized, and the, the, the three of us that worked as a team, you know, it just really, I think what they wanted and what we were capable of didn't quite match. And it, it sort of fell apart, but I made a few bucks from it. So that was nice. And one of the people that I worked with was actually a guy named Derek. I think his last name is Kennenbauer. I don't know how to pronounce the last name. So when I first met him and I heard his last name, it like sounded so familiar to me. And I'm like, that's so weird. So it turns out it, it's, um, you know who Pro Jared is, right? Yeah. It was his brother. Pro Jared has a brother named Derek, and I worked with him on a few projects. And I just, it was so weird. And I didn't want to just ask him a bunch of questions about his brother. But, (laughs) you know, he kind of talked, you know, I'm like, oh, that's so cool. I've watched this channel for years. He's like, yeah, he moved down to Texas. And I think he did some work for game trailers. And, you know, now he's on his merry way. So I'm like, oh, that's so fascinating. And then I realized, like, a couple other guys that I know in the area that are into retro gaming are like friends with him and stuff like that. And then that was kind of the end of it. And then uh, for some reason on Saturday night, I believe me and my wife were having a few beers, listening to some music. And I, I just decided to start going through old yearbooks, which happens sometimes. So I pull out Uh my 1993 yearbook Uh and I find me and there I am as a third grader with a mullet. And it's, you know, it's hilarious. (laughs) And then I just started looking at the other classes. I'm like, you know, I've worked with like hundreds or thousands of people in the Green Bay area, working at various large companies, large call centers over the years. I wonder if any of these, you know, if I know any of these other people so i'm looking and then sure enough 1993 my yearbook there's a picture of 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 pro jared <laughs> as a first grader with like a massive bowl cut. <laughs> oh the bowl like, cut oh, yeah yeah 1993 and i was just like blown away i'm like here we are like this kid I've probably never met or even saw in my entire life and there he is in my yearbook and i just thought it was so fascinating that's that's always weird when when something like that happens or you know somebody and and later on there's a there's a relationship to to some something else maybe you're a fan of something or whatever and you realize there's a connection there. Um that's that's weird though. Uh 
so I wish I would have told the yearbook part first instead of the other part. Oh, but whatever. I'm a terrible blew, storyteller. You blew you blew it. <laughs> you had one job. But that's that's how I knew he was from this area. And then, you know, so I wasn't like shocked to see him in my yearbook, but I actually I had no idea we lived in the same suburb for three years. Yeah. I know, totally bizarre. I know he's, you know, his more recent video, he's he's been impacted by uh, Hurricane Harvey and hopefully he can kind of rebound from all that. Um, but it, it sounds like he's not going to be doing videos for a while while he tries to, to get everything in order, um, from everything. Yeah. Houston, I think is, yeah, well, Houston's huge, of course, but there's a, there's a lot of retro gaming. I think the game chasers are in that area. Um, a few others as well. It's interesting to me that, that, that coalescing where you end up, you know, it it is, um, I think a lot of uh, the that group, uh, the Hidden Boots, and 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 sort of um, uh, like Pro Jared, Pro Jared, and and the Completionist, and I think uh, I think a few of those guys are all sort of friends from school, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> um, and so it's it's really interesting how you can sort of build, you know, you take the talents of people you know, and and you can build something with it, and I think that's pretty pretty cool. Um, and I, I don't know that, that fascinates me. Uh, but that's, that's, a, that's interesting. I, I don't have anything quite like that. I have a bunch of celebrities. Like I can go, Oh, so-and-so lives, uh, one town away. Um, <laughs> the guy who plays, uh, uh, Thanos. Uh, I can't think of his name right now. I have no, I'm terrible with names. Um, but he's, he lives in, he, at least, you know, in Hollywood world, uh, he has a place here near the area um but I'm pretty uh, josh sure josh brolin that's any yeah josh movie brolin stars. is who i'm thinking of but uh My. yeah oh yeah well i went to school with pro jared so <laughs> <laughs> you got me beat uh, uh, <laughs> let's go ahead and move on to the news i don't know how interesting any of these will be uh, but it was a slow news week except for like stupid stories and we don't talk about those here <laughs> So I thought this was interesting. Uh, we've talked a lot about movies over the past few episodes, and I thought it was really interesting that uh, basically Star Wars Episode Nine seems to be starting over, and they're going to have J.J. Abrams co-write and direct Star Wars Episode Nine. Yeah, I, I you know, it's hard to tell where this is going to go because Episode Eight isn't out, so we don't. Yeah. I mean, you know, as much uh, flack as, as, as people give uh, George Lucas, he did have a rough sort of outline of what where he was going to go with certain things. Um, so he says. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> I think when you watch the behind the scenes stuff on Empire and stuff like that, and when you realize, he, he you know, he didn't direct Empire, he didn't write Empire, uh, um, th- those kinds of things, you realize he, he was sort of letting the creative process happened a bit more, but he did have final say and everything, obviously. Um, but that's, that to me is what, what worries me about the new star Wars stuff is that it, that it might be by committee. Um, you know, if you, if you're a creative person or you have control over this, this amazing thing, you pick people that you trust to, to handle it. And, and then you, you put your input in a little bit and, and you say, this is, these are the beats that I want you to hit. Uh, and then you let them go. But in this in this uh, filmmaking process, I I do slightly worry, and I really can't I can't judge any of it really. I don't think I can say anything to it until episode uh, 
episode eight comes out. But, uh, you know, is this are they sort of letting the creative process happening or are they are the knobs being turned um, for other for other goals? So do you let me phrase this question to you. Do you think it's a sign that Disney doesn't want a director to have much control and say and then that's why this went wrong or are you saying that it's a good thing that maybe they are more hands-on and they're removing something that could potentially not be great i don't know i mean not sure i haven't i, I haven't no read it no <laughs> yeah i haven't read any of the the rumors or anything like that i mean you're bringing on somebody who already had a successful star wars movie and uh, if we're talking about, you know, Abrams doing episode nine, did I did I already cut the lead on that, or did we even did if we we hit on that right? On what? On that he's he's doing episode nine. I don't think so. Oh, <laughs> well, as it's, it's, yeah, so uh, Abrams we didn't talk about this before, did we? No, no. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but uh, Abr- Abrams, yeah, set that. This just happened in the last two weeks, did it? Huh? <laughs> yeah, it did. It did. Okay. Um, but it. I, I don't know. You bring you bring guy back who who had success with with one and I I he's a creative guy I mean I, I as far as I what can tell. did you what did you think of episode seven I like well okay so I saw it the day that it it um, came out so I got to have that sort of fan experience of everyone cheering and, <laughs> and that kind of thing yes. the only thing I'll say is I was bummed that I had to see it in three D. Um, but I, I, I did have a pair of anti 3d glasses to help combat, like it cuts out the 3d so I could at least sort of enjoy it, enjoy it flat. Um, nice. my personal take on 3d stuff is I just don't like it. it. It's, I don't know where to focus the, when the frame changes fast enough for a lot of action movies and things like that. And, um, it's just not my thing. Uh, but you go with a group of people and they all want to go in 3d. And so you sort of, you, you zip the lips and you go, uh, <laughs> guys i'm on a budget can we get the cheaper ticket <laughs> exactly <please? laughs> it's like ah, anyways uh but i i enjoyed it and then when i watched it the second time at home when, once it was out on blu-ray um you know it i don't know i it it's it was good and and there were the there were certain beats in it that i you know you get excited that are coming um but I haven't really thought about it too much beyond the, the two sessions that I've watched it. I haven't, I don't, it's not something I'm putting on all the time or anything like that. Uh, it, I, I worry that they might be relying a too much, too much on, uh, another thing I'll credit Lucas with, with the, with the prequels is he wasn't afraid to try new things as far as mm-hmm. creating new, uh, for better, for worse. Exactly, but he was at least experimenting with different new things and stuff like that. And it feels like what they're what what the goal is always going to be is to make sure it anchors to the original uh, trilogy in some way, so that people have that taste of it. I thought it was really interesting that they acknowledged the Clone Wars uh, or clones in in particular, mm-hmm. and a clone army and, and stuff like that. Um, I thought it was interesting the choices with stormtroopers and to say, okay, well they're, they used to be all just one. Uh, but now they're, you know, these, these people with different ranks. Yeah. And they have no identity and and stuff like that. So I thought that that was really interesting. Um, I I liked it. I liked that the, the villain was kind of basically a spoiled brat. 
Uh, <laughs> it was like, easy to hate him. Yeah, exactly. So I <laughs> really Darth Vader is like cool. You're like I don't want him to die. He's badass. Yeah, <laughs> and I liked that. I liked that he he was worshiping something that he probably himself didn't understand. Uh, I like that he. There's an implication that he's doing this to be rebellious, um, but then also that that he he wants. He wants to fulfill something, even even if it's a if, destiny of some sort. Yeah, so I, I like the villain and all that stuff. It just it sort of felt, I don't know. It feels like you can tell there was a lot of hands in things, and uh, so it doesn't it doesn't feel like a complete uh, idea as as far as like one it, uh, one or two people's vision. It does feel like it. it there's a lot of possible meddling going on. But uh, what what about you? What were your thoughts on it? I saw it three times, once in theaters, a few weeks after it was released, when everything kind of calmed down, um, and I saw it normally. <laughs> I didn't, didn't have to see it in 3D. Um, I kind of wish I would have saw it in like the, the fancy HDR and all that, mm. um, but I didn't. just saw it in regular old digital theater. Um, I would, uh, the movie was already spoiled for me. I listened to a lot of Kevin Smith podcasts, oh, so yeah. there was no, and that stuff doesn't really bother me, like being spoiled on movies. I just really find, you know, so, um, and even knowing all of the beats and everything that was going to happen, I, I was still, I was really blown away to be honest with you. I thought it was amazing. Yeah. I thought the, the scale of it just seemed huge. The more so every, what I really enjoyed was the characters and just how likable they are, because I think it's really easy to just make a bunch of cardboard characters. This is the female, this is the old guy, this is the, this, this is the, that, and then just have these boring interactions between cardboard cutouts. But I thought it was much more layered and deep than that. And I, you know, I liked all of the characters, you know, and then of course seeing Chewie and Han again, kind of ties it to the old movies while still feeling new and i hadn't really put much thought into kylo ren um like you have and you're absolutely right that was totally part of it he was a lot more complex than darth vader and there was you know the touches of of religion and destiny and legacy and all of that you're right it just made him a much more interesting character yet still easy to dislike so even that's an example of just how much depth there was to the characters and i loved all that yeah and then yeah the action i can't i mean i'm not an action movie director but how hard could it be i guess the formula is kind of already laid out on what to do <laughs> so that was all as great as i expected but the opening war scene uh for me was particularly touching because it really felt like you know, they kind of went to a dark place, like for the first time, instead of the stormtroopers just being these cookie cutter things that miss with all of their laser blasts, like they're, they're messing things up. Yeah. People are dying. It was really like just an awesome way to open the movie. I just I thought he had great vision and did a, an amazing. I can't imagine Star Wars Episode seven being any better than it was. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel the, I feel the same way as far as, you know, a starting point. Uh, and that's why I'm I'm like. Everything I'm saying as far as my concerns about the future films is just based around I really can't my own instincts on this don't really matter until 8 comes out and and I can kind of breathe a sigh of relief or you know feel like oh gosh uh <laughs> it's what I feared but um <laughs> it was I mean it was it's a great experience and that's the thing is like I'm saying there there's these moments that I know are coming and I get excited about it because they the payoff is really really well well executed 
and I think you're right. I mean, the characters are are. Uh, That's what Star Wars has always been. All yeah, about. The, they have those beats, In a way. The, those moments with the with the the, the, the characters interacting and the BB-8 is really cool. You know, they could have easily easily messed that up. Um, yeah, and so uh, <laughs> to to pull that off is is really impressive. Um, uh, you know, it's it's almost like I don't want to say it, but if you look at BB-8's color scheme and you look at Jar Jar. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's almost like we can do one better than you kind of thing. Um I oh man, I couldn't imagine ever even attempting something like that, like starting to it's write beyond something. even my comprehension. Right. So Rogue One, no JJ Abrams at all. Yeah. Had nothing to do with him, somebody else. What did you think of Rogue One? I I really enjoyed it. The only thing that really threw me out and I uh was the the CGI'd uh yeah, Grand Marth. But, yeah. And, oh, and see, I thought he looked good. He looked all right. It it, just, it looks it looked like somebody had placed his skin over somebody else. Um, but I think I think a lot of that has to do with the prints and then the the way that the theater is set up. Because I think when we were watching it on our screen, it appeared that the darks weren't as dark as they were supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it highlighted some of the some of that effect a bit more than than you would expect. Um, but Leia in particular did look really, really strange. I, yeah. I felt the only thing that really bothered me about that film was that I felt like it buttoned up way too perfectly and sort of changed the way that you perceive the, the, the next movie. Yeah. Uh, the, <laughs> er, and what it does is it, if, if you were to watch it in that, in a chronological way, it feels like episode four, the, that's been spoiled. Well, that and the energy is deflated. Um, they were just in the middle of a, a battle, <laughs> Yeah, you know, and it's like, it doesn't feel like that's what had, had just occurred. Um, so it's oh, so, interesting. So that, that's, that was really off for me. But other than that, I mean, again, it, it's sort of going into a kind of a, a, a bit of a darker zone where you've got, when when that that last battle was happening and they decide to ram into the other ship and, and that kind of thing that was uh that's pretty intense <laughs> um but i i did i did wish that uh the characters got explored a little bit more i think in 7 where their personalities really shown and you felt you felt uh some kind of connection to them i felt like in rogue one the the primary character there was a lot of development there but i felt like uh some you know all the other connecting uh people's i i never really i i wish i could have seen or or learned a bit more about about them or seen more of their personality and in, in, yeah. in a different way um but it was a it was a great movie in a interesting with uh sort of another religious taking the the force and and uh almost turning it into well even if you don't if you if you can't use it uh like it's a presence that can watch over you idea like that that's new and and that's interesting uh so i really came out of that movie and i don't remember i'm not good with names i don't remember who the blind guy was and i i just i thought that character was so interesting and it's like oh i want to know more about where he comes from and why his relationship with the four it's just all of that i thought he was so interesting and i wanted to know more yeah yeah. And then the sarcastic robot was just 
those the beats the way he talked and delivered yeah and the timing oh my god it was so funny even the second time i watched it i just laughed like somebody really creative <laughs> came up with with how to i mean doing sarcasm dry humor like that i think is really tough and it was just so perfect yeah alan, so pitch alan, perfect alan tudyk is that the the pilot? oh yeah that's right yeah. yep uh he's from firefly yeah he's great but yeah they're i mean i don't know that they'll hold up in the same way because that's that's a time thing you have to let these things breathe Mm-hmm. To see if they they're staples in in sort of what are you talking about? Movies don't age; they're exactly <laughs> the same as when they came out. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm hoping out of all of this, now that Disney has Star Wars, I'm hoping that we finally get a release of Untouched uh, four through uh, four through six. I think uh, we will. I hope so. I think it'll happen. Yeah, I really do. Um, All right, moving along. This was inevitable. The NES Classic. Why did I call it the Mini? The NES Classic is returning in September of 2018. <laughs> I don't have much to add. I think no. one of us called this. We both called oh, yeah. it. Said it was going to happen. I think we we basically discussed the possibility that this would become sort of a seasonal thing. That they, oh yeah, that's right. And and uh, here we are. The only thing I'll say is uh, I'm surprised that they're not changing the game lineup. I think they, I th- I've, they have, if, they haven't enough. Anyone's, I think they'll screw it up. <laughs> I think they will screw it up. They'll change like four games, and then uh, it'll just create where everyone who already has one is going to buy the site. It's just going to be a mess again. I hope you I'm wrong, right. but I think they'll screw it up. They haven't officially said that it's the exact same skew, have they? I sure hope it is, but yeah. no, they haven't. <sighs> Well, um, do you want to do you want to take a side on that? I, I, you're you're pretty confident they're they're gonna change it. I am confident they're gonna screw it up, and I'm not sure how yet. Okay, well, I'll I'll call that they're going to change the lineup. But you, you okay. and and uh, that they're going to. I think I think you're right in that that sort of they'll pick one or Something two. Something will go bad. Yeah, or they'll change a couple titles. Yep. They're gonna do one instead of Super C. It'll be Contra, the original, or something like that. <laughs> Oh man, yeah. Or, or I guess uh, yeah for the NES. So yep. The, oh, could you imagine if they just changed that one thing? <laughs> that would be it. That would be all they would need to do, and people would lose their mind. Yeah. Um. Well, I mean, they've got another money printing machine, so it's uh, yeah. it is what it we'll is. Find out. Yep. One year from now, <laughs> we'll know. I hope we're wrong. I don't think we're wrong, but I I hope we're wrong. Yeah. All right, Sega of Europe has registered the internet. I don't know if this is old or not. I don't think I've talked about it. I can't remember. It, it, Sega of Europe has registered the internet domains for the website Shenmue HD and Shenmue, Shenmue Remastered. Yep. Is that old? Uh, it's a bit. It's a bit old. Um, but I but still we're this, talking about. I picked this because the rest of the Shenmue stories this week revolved around, I think, um, an Australian website, like an online shop, and like some European shop listing the Shenmue HD collection on their websites briefly, and those seemed like sketchy sources. And then as I continued my research into the topic, is when I stumbled onto the websites thing which I think I had heard before but this is like the only sort of the only official thing that has ever been talked about with the Shenmue remastered but they have in interviews very like Sega has in interviews 
expressed interest in bringing these titles back. I bet you I have talked about it. It's all coming back to me, but I haven't talked to you about it, have I? No. Uh, I, what do you think they could even do with an HD remaster? Do you think they even have the original sound sound files? That's. Not, I would be more worried about the source code because this is this is a custom engine. This isn't just something they can port over. I would suspect, in, for a game developed, like released in two thousand, they must not have lost the source code. Mm. Like if it was nineteen eighty eight, I could see him losing the source code, but not something that late. Yeah, it depends on how well uh, Sony keeps its uh, the Sega. Sorry, yeah, Sega. <laughs> Sega. Keeps, how dare I know. you? <laughs> Whoops. It depends on how well uh, Sega keeps its in house. Uh, records and, and things like that i know some game companies are really good at that yeah um square some are probably square, awful, but yeah sega's a big one square has that that screw up with uh kingdom hearts oh they just they lost it yeah um i think, <laughs> I think for the first kingdom hearts when they did the remasters they had to start from scratch oh man um, that's a lot of wasted money yeah here's my question to you did you play shenmue one or shenmue two i have a very little bit I almost decided to play Shinmu 2 and just watch the DVD that came with the, the oh, they, Xbox yeah. one just to get caught up and then and then get into it. Those are a series of games, those two games I, I have wanted to go back and play um, just because of their significance. Uh, and also having watched the GDC talk that I'll definitely put as a streaming pick at some time in the future okay. <laughs> with the creator. I think I kind of have to now because the way he talked about uh, some of the things that they they developed but uh it's it's did you did you have a dreamcast back in 99 2000 or 2001 no but i had a friend and i was blown okay. away i made fun of it and then i saw it in person and i <laughs> ate all my words because that thing was ahead of its time and you could tell um when he showed me fantasy star online my head exploded and i was like nice you know this is this is amazing but this was honestly i think this was post it, the servers were shutting down soon or something to that effect and i was i was I, I i was blown away i couldn't i couldn't believe that i had kind of made fun of this machine and and then when i saw it it was, it was did you did you get any of the new machines then a gamecube or a playstation 2 or an xbox um i do have them now but n- not in those days N- nothing at the time no. okay I missed out on, you know, they had them at our new, we had a brand new Target and they were already getting rid of their, their Dreamcast yeah. for like 50 bucks and with a bunch of games and stuff. And I, I didn't, I didn't even do it then and I'm full of regret. <laughs> so there you have it. Someone who I played and beat Shenmue back in 2000, I believe is when it came out. And then you were one of the majority of gamers who just skipped the Dreamcast. <laughs> it's kind of funny the Dreamcast and the Wii U basically sold the same amount. Oh, man. That's so interesting. So the Wii U and its games will definitely be a collector's item in 15 years. No doubt. I mean, you even saw that kind of early hint of I that. I see it now. Yeah. There are no $10 Wii U games, or there are very few $10 Wii U games that you no, want and the, to buy and the when reaction, you go to the used stores. Yeah, the Bayonetta reaction when they when they pulled that from shelves really quick. Um, people, mm-hmm. people were not happy about that, the, at least the collector market. Uh, but I'm one of those uh, Wii U owners. I I got one on eBay when when it was dipping in price. And I bought my Wii. I bought mine on the launch day of the Xbox One. I went to Best Buy. There was a pyramid of Xbox Ones, and I went and grabbed a Wii U and <laughs> Sonic Lost World. <laughs> nice. 
I think that's already. I think that's the best console to play um, Sonic Adventure Racing. Yeah, what's it called? Se- All Star Sega and All Stars. Yeah, that's the one. Sega man, oh, I feel terrible. Sega All Stars Racing. That one is Sega and Sonic All Stars Racing, and then Sega and Sonic All Stars Racing Transformed. Transformed is the one that's on the Wii U. And as far as the consoles are concerned, I think that's the the best one to play on. But I don't know. Maybe I'm. Someone sent me the All Stars game um, on the 360, but I've yet to play it. I played uh, I played the first one for a few gosh probably five or six hours. I would love to beat it. I was I was blown away. I thought it was the most amazing kart racing game I'd ever played, and I hear Transformed is even better. Yeah, it's got it's got all. The only thing is, it's just got a weird lineup of racers. But besides that, it is it is actually really a, a fun game. It's a blast. Well, if you were a proper Sega fanboy, <laughs> you would appreciate playing as Rio Hazuka. That's probably not his name. <laughs> what is Rio's last name? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. Um, yeah, they have that uh, Dan- Danica. Well, I forget her name. The the GoDaddy uh, race race track. Danica Patrick. Yeah, they have her in there, and it's just so strange. Oh, nice. <laughs> it's so weird. It's like, oh, there's a Is human Banjo? being in this game. <laughs> Next story. This happened like literally hours before we started recording. And that is, this was reported by Forbes, that Toys R Us could be filing for bankruptcy at any moment, and they might have already have as we're talking. Wow. So um, Toys R Us, this is obviously, I think you can look at any struggling or even pretty much any retail store period and see that there's going to be a lot of these in the future. I think we saw Radio Shack declare bankruptcy already. We saw um, Circuit City die like a decade ago. Toys they, R Us, I don't know who shops at Toys R Us anymore. But I, going there and everything is 20% more expensive than everywhere else, I don't... I don't know why anyone would go there. Are they specifically talking um, Chapter 11? You, yep. Yeah. Chapter 11. Well, so restructuring their $400 million of debt. Yeah. Whoa. What was that? <laughs> was that me? Did I? I don't know. I said Whoa. debt. Oh, sorry. Um, my computer was playing something. I was losing my mind yeah. there for a second. <laughs> a dog was barking because I was looking up the, the story. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, the stupid ads that play sound. Uh, I hate that. Okay. So, yeah, I'm looking at it and... I mean, Chapter 11, it doesn't necessarily mean that Toys R Us is going, going away. Um, and it doesn't mean that all the people that, well, probably does mean that people working there are going to have to find some other work for a while. But uh, maybe the admin might might make it through this. Uh, but it's possible that, that you know, somebody's going to pick up Toys R Us and restructure it and it'll still be around. Um, it's not like, I mean, it's not like. General Motors and Chrysler that went through bankruptcy and came out the other end as a thriving company. There's nothing to there's <laughs> nothing to to Toys R Us. There's nothing to radios. There's nothing to come back from. <laughs> it's yeah. I mean, there's a brand, you know, and and that's something. And and I could, you know, if I'm just gonna guess, but I could see somebody like a Target or a Best Buy picking Amazon. Up. Yeah, yeah, I could see him picking up the pieces and being able to take that brand. And there'll be a to- you know, you walk into Target and there's Toys R Us and it's the kids section. Oh, that's interesting. Um, hmm. Or Best Buy, there's Toys R Us and there's a section. Uh, 
I could see them doing something like that. I mean, all that property and everything is worth something. Somebody's going to pick that up and and be able to turn that around and into into something if it's not Toys R Us or what whatnot. But the brand itself, I think, has has some value, and I could see like some sort of retail uh, chain um, picking oh, it Kmart up. Kmart did too, didn't they? Yeah, Kmart managed. I don't f- Do you, you remember when that happened? You you could walk into a Kmart and check yourself out. That was the really? that was the craziest thing. <laughs> During their bankruptcy process, there were only they had a skeleton crew to stock the shelves, and when you went to buy anything, it was it was honor system self checkout. It was the craziest wow. thing, um, and somehow they made it through that. Which I, I still feel about Kmart the same way in the end, but I do feel like with Toys R Us, there is, I, I mean, the commercials alone for some reason, you know, if you're a certain age, they'll never leave you. Um, if fair though is the kid today do they have any nostalgia for the toys r us brand no but they don't have the wallet (laughs) so i feel like i feel like with the with the right hands and and somebody could do something with it but i think you're right as far as the store itself it's overpriced it's it's nightmarish it's like the walmart of toy stores in a way you know it's like a hellscape i don't know what it is i remember like you said being a kid and going to toys r us was the greatest thing ever oh yeah and and they used to be like they had the best video game selection of its of its time yep, like that was the only place i could get a game gear at, at, at that time yeah mm-hmm. so i wrote down a couple of things maybe you have some memories if you remember but the last game i bought at toys r us was n plus for the ds and that's because Toys R Us always had the weirdest selection of games. And since nobody bought video games there, you could find stuff that was released three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> the, honestly, I wasn't in an area with the Toys R Us. And my last okay. and, and, and uh, almost one of my first memories with Toys R Us was going there with my dad, wanting, bleeding in my heart, wanting a Lynx. Uh, nice. And when we got there... Stupid retailer guy was like, took my dad aside and was like, you don't want to get your son that because, you know, and he's like explaining the gaming market and how there's nothing for it or whatever. And then basically got my dad to get me a a game gear instead. And my heart was broken. (laughs) And, uh, but I ended up actually really enjoyed the game gear, but I really wanted a Lynx more than anything. And I just, uh, I did get one and I'm still kind of hurts to this day uh, because I, it, that's such a weird machine kind you know with the yeah. flipping and having the, like what was the point of that but uh there's like a few games that i knew about uh, that i wanted with it but ended up getting a game gear with uh sonic i think it was like sonic 2 or something like that yeah. sonic and tails or whatever it was for the game gear but that was that's probably my my most impactful memory besides being able to watch uh, that Nickelodeon show where they got to run and go on that spree and, and pick whatever they wanted. Which was, was there like a supermarket spree? Oh, that was a show, right? Supermarket yeah. sweep? Yeah, there was that. And then there was like the kids version on Nickelodeon, I think it was. And, oh, that's amazing. And that was like, you know, I didn't have a lot of money when I was a kid. And so it was bittersweet to watch that because in your head. Oh, I wish I was that kid. Yeah. It's like, oh, man. But you already saw, like, I would watch it and see this well-dressed kid. And I'm like, that kid already has money. You know, it's like, this is not fair. Um, but- <laughs> this rich suburban Hollywood kid. <laughs> yeah. He's like, he's got a good haircut and, like, his hair is slightly faded and stuff. And it's like, that kid has money. What? But, uh those are my 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 really my two main Toys R Us uh, memories like that really stick out in my mind. 
Um, I remember buying a Neo Geo Pocket Color, which was either 98 or 2000, and getting that, the Sonic, with Sonic Pocket Adventure, the bundle, it was silver, and then I think I also picked Bust, picked up Bust a Move, and then the only other game I ever had for it is I imported a Cool Borders Pocket, um, which is now pretty rare, but I, at the time it wasn't. You just go on whatever the chinese game store was at the time and get it and then i also remember when the game gear was re-released by majesco i remember getting a majesco game gear and then like sonic um sonic one and two because majesco also i think had a warehouse of old stock and then they reprinted some new ones as well so i picked up just a couple of the the basic uh game gear games but even that re-released one the screen just wasn't wasn't good enough in 99 or 2000 and i really never played it yeah it's and now i don't own either of them it's real bleedy um the game gear screen is is really awful yeah that was the interesting thing about my first experience with Sonic I'd forgotten about, but it was on the Game Gear, and uh, it was it was rough. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I liked, you know, it had a backlight, and and uh, at the time when you're a kid, like it seems awesome. It's like my own screen, it's color, but like we were dumb little kids. <laughs> we yes, we were easily. Um, have you ever have you ever played a Turbo Express? I have not, no. That screen is surprisingly okay. I got the chance a local shop had one, and I'm like, oh, can I turn that on? And I was like, wow, this is not like the Lynx or the Game Gear. This is actually usable. Yeah. I I mean, it doesn't compare to a modern LCD, but it was very acceptable. Yeah. It was also extremely expensive. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I, I was weird. You know, back in those days, I... I knew about that stuff pretty well as a consumer, even though I was a mm-hmm. kid, because um, I would chew up like EGM and, and those magazines. And so there's this weird stuff that I I never saw, but always wondered about. And, and that, that was one of those machines uh, that I never understood that the the turbo graphics or any of that like when i was a kid i didn't i didn't understand what was going on with all that mm-hmm. where where the lines were with it um but yeah that was that was one of those that just had a good look to it you know that that shape of the body and the frame of it and everything um a little sun shield yeah it was it was a really um este- at least aesthetically i don't know how it felt in the hand it looks like it might have been actually a little small but um it it just was a a pleasing um, looking design. Anyways, <laughs> Did you ever watch the movie? Um, have you ever watched the movie Shooter with Mark Wahlberg? No. Okay, moving on. On next week's episode, <laughs> <laughs> Matthew Schultz finds a Turbo Express at Goodwill. <laughs> no, All right, no moving doubt. on. I wanted to ask you, and I'm going to keep asking you until you either get tired of it or until you beat it how is your progress coming along on the original sonic the hedgehog it's it's coming um okay so just to set the stage i played it once and talked to you okay then i've i've played it one more time i haven't i am i'm not uh it's it's one of those things where it's like ah i'm gonna put this on and okay let me just start with a few questions yes so the bonus stages, how, how yes. do I, how, how, I don't know what's triggering. <laughs> to reach the bonus stage, you have to reach the end post with 50 or more rings. Okay. 
That's if you have fifty or more, then the big ring will appear, and you have to jump through it quickly, or you'll get boned. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, next question. The, yes. bon- the and it's bonus stage related. Do you ever get to a point where you feel skilled enough to be able to really take advantage of it? Do I feel skilled? No. I have only beaten Sonic the Hedgehog once with all six Chaos Emeralds. Okay. All One right. time, and it was the last time I played it, and it was a recorded run. I was actually going to give up. I'm like, this is my last run of Sonic. If I don't get the Chaos Rings or Chaos Emeralds, I'm just not going to talk about, about them in the video. And I just happened to get through all six bonus stages uh with a lot of luck okay so that and that's how you get those all right yes all right so my impression so far uh i guess i should say where i've how far i've gotten one more thing on the bonus stages yeah as a newer player i would imagine you would appreciate continues yes and the only way to get continues is to get the 50 rings get to the end of the stage and then collect rings in the bonus stage i can't remember inside the bonus stage if it's 50 or 100 rings but if you collect enough rings in the spinning bonus stage that's how you can earn a continue okay i managed to do that on accident this good the second time (laughs) um and i've gotten i've gotten all the way to um looking through the the stages okay so this might not sound impressive i guess but i have gotten to the spring yard zone but um i got so okay so i got to the i got to the end i got to robotnik he's picking Mm -hmm. up the ground below me yep and i'm like what do i do i die the first time and i'm like yeah you jump into the spike and you die and so (laughs) i was like okay um this time i'm going to I, it, it became like it's it's really simple like it, once you it's so funny when you're a kid and you panic on these things and it becomes this huge challenge when really you just need to take a step back and go okay what am i supposed to, like how can i make this the easiest approach to yeah it? and so i just you know stand on a on a one of the blocks closest Wait for him to come yeah. down so and, my mistake yeah. was i started on the right hand side and was moving left and i was on my last life and so i had defeated him but then I had this giant gap. <laughs> yes. And I was like, why isn't the game, why isn't it over? And I'm like, that's right, I have to open the thing. And I'm like, it's to the right. And so I just oh. I just jump and die. And it broke my heart. Um, yeah. But uh, I'm... So next time you'll start on the left, and then yes. you'll come down, you'll hit him twice, move over one, and then... Yeah, yeah. yeah I struggled. As a kid, I remember that boss. I don't even know why, because once... Yeah, it's the easiest thing in the world. Two hits, move over. Two hits, move over. Two hits, move over. And I don't know, eight or ten hits and it's over. And it's very easy. But I remember as a kid, like, that's where I always got stuck. I, I, there was something about it that didn't click with me. Yeah. So the I think I'll be able to, to get that done on, you know, uh, third playthrough. But so my impressions, I mean... So, so this is what's going to happen. Next week, I'm going to ask you about Sonic 1, and you're going to tell me the water levels are the stupidest thing in the entire world. <laughs> That's going to be next week. All right. but <laughs> I will be curious if you say, no, these are fine. Yeah, but so far, what I'm finding interesting about it is that it's, you know, like with Mega Man or, say, kind of like what you're experiencing with Castlevania, there's a little bit of, like Mega Man, you memorize enemy patterns, 
and mm-hmm. and that's what makes it easier over time. You learn how to deal with certain things or not. Like you start to get a gut instinct for I got hit. I'm invincible for this brief period of time. I'm going to take advantage of that instead of trying yeah. stubbornly trying to take care of this enemy. And I'm noticing a bit of that with Sonic, but it's more on the enemies are are super easy for the most part. Some of them you get surprised when it's like, oh, this guy's got spikes. I got to handle them a little differently, and uh, <laughs> you know, and, and, yes. Um, so that stuff's not not too difficult to sort of grasp. And what I'm finding is it's it's about that enemy a concept that I'm describing in Mega Man, where you're sort of like memorizing things and stuff. That's the stage um, in Sonic. Yeah. And so it's that's what I wasn't ever clicking with me with with Sonic before and it's starting to click and I'm starting to realize the stage is teaching you about itself um and when especially when I got to Spring Yard Zone I started to notice there was a couple of recurring sort of uh little mini vignettes of even design was repeating but it was intentional mm-hmm. to make you think about certain things and and um yeah. I don't know. It, it, I'm start, I'm really starting to appreciate it. Whereas before, I I just get frustrated with the game. Yeah. Um. And uh, part of the reason why I, I didn't get further along was because I had a baby on my lap who thought yeah. she could help. <laughs> um. But uh, but yeah, it's it's. Uh, I don't know. It's, I think it's hard for me because the game's just been part of my whole life. But I think the physics and the level design is awesome, and I think the enemies are kind of bs yeah well yeah the the uh in marble zone the little worm guys with the spikes um it feels like sometimes it doesn't matter what i do i i'm like okay i can hit him on the head and not have a problem sometimes when i try to roll into him it feels like you don't have enough momentum and then you stand up and then you get hit yeah it just doesn't there's not like a ramp to let you roll into him correctly and i feel like the charge that's I'm guessing that's in two, right? You get the charge. Yeah. So that that is to me sort of the same revelation in Mega Man three when you get the slide, where yeah. where it's sort of it's it speeds things up again because the game. What's surprising me about it is my impression of Sonic was what it was advertised as versus what I'm ex- starting to experience, <laughs> and it's like you know when I wanted a Sega Genesis because there was this this commercial with Matt. I heard Matt got a Sega Genesis. My name's Matt. I want to say Genesis now. Like, thanks. You know? <laughs> um, so that, that was my, like, I had to have a Sega Genesis moment was, was that, uh, but Sonic was always this like, you know, blast processing and super fast and ultra fast. So cool. And, and I'm realizing like a lot of what I'm experiencing with it is nothing to do uh, with r- super fast. Right. There's, there's those <laughs> moments, but, but also it's like, Oh, Hey, your, your instinct is just keep going. Right. But guess what? If you, if you, if you go the other way or if you instead of rolling down that hill, if you just backtrack a little bit, you're going to have all this extra stuff that's going to, you know, extra coins or whatever that's going to help you out. And then you go or uh, like Marble Zone, it's it's this it kind of exploring and very committal, like you're going into this area and it's like you've got to work your way out of it. And Spring Yard Zone is, is like this weird it it just it keeps kind of changing things. Um, yeah. It feels like the Mario games at that time, you know, because I'd mentioned Mario three and we realized that came out f- first. But <laughs> it it's uh, it feels like sort of every level is kind of the same. Um, mm-hmm. The the power ups are what kind of changes things a bit. Uh, but 
but the Sonic games, it feels like the levels themselves are a big part of the character of the game. And I'm really appreciating that. And, and I can see the, the, oh, great, I'm going to have to pr- play it over again. But then it's like, oh, but now I get to kind of try a different thing because I'm a little bit better at, at things. I've got the parts of the level memorized already. Um, you might notice a spring in a different area. Yeah, behind the trees. Before. Yeah, Green Hill Zone, I'm starting to notice there's springs and trees and things like that. And I'm like, oh, so that's how I get up to these other areas. And and uh, so there's, there's a lot of that going on where there is, there is a, uh, you could power through it. And I think that, people that are presently doing that that come to it for the first time and say if they're on an emulator they might be giving themselves a little bit of a a handout with uh something like save states or whatever and they're not getting the full experience because part of it is uh, i've got to try again and that's the same with Mega Man. you can't you could save state your way through Mega Man and never really know it uh because (laughs) part of that is getting better at it and being able to come back to it and and uh, tackle things in a different exactly. order try something new right well and in part discovery of discovery in a different way right whereas with sonic it's like i've got to learn how to master the stages so i can get enough coins to get enough lives so that i can get to the next challenge and so there's that that sort of repetition to it mega man is uh i've run out of lives and i don't know the be- or ro- robot order um yet if it's the first time you're starting to play it and you don't mm-hmm. and you know now you could go online and look all that stuff up but i feel like by doing that and presently you kind of rob yourself of of what sort of these these games were kind of about when when they were out and when you're playing them you know in in those the time period that they were they were out um and so you you can easily miss a lot of what makes them really interesting and i feel like with sonic i'm intentionally i'm just like you know what? i'm just gonna sit down and just play it and then just play it again and and see see what we're doing here and and so far i'm i'm this second playthrough, I'm going to be playing a lot more of it before we talk again. I'll probably, I don't know if I'll have beaten it or not, but I'm definitely not going to have one play session the next time we talk because it, it like I'm, I don't know. This second time, I was like, okay, like I'm really starting to to get into this, and so I'm digging the, it. You'll I, th- you'll get through that. Uh, you'll get through that, and you'll get to Labyrinth Zone, which is the three water stages in the boss which isn't really a boss of the third act of labyrinth zone is the hardest part of the game and i'll be curious to see if that is where you lose your lives and potentially continues or if you've become familiar enough with the controls to get through the obstacle course i'll just be curious to see what your take is if that's a difficulty spike or if that was a fun challenge um, just from something you said, is this a boss where the l- you're moving? Like, yeah. Oh, okay. If, yeah. If you've watched enough of my videos, you've seen me yeah. go through that a few different times. Okay. Oh dear. All right. I can't wait to talk about it next week. Yeah. All right. I'm like, for me, it's fascinating because there's no way to recreate having a new player play it other than having a new player play it all i can do is guess um so let's pick our we got two streaming picks this week and i'm gonna go ahead and go first and uh, this i was not expecting to watch this was sort of uh, you're just browsing netflix and something catches your eye and this is a movie called what happened to monday uh this was a french film or is a french film it just came out i believe in the rest of the world it's actually going through a theatrical release 
release. And I think in the US, Netflix has the rights, so we just get to watch it without paying, you know, for a movie ticket. But basically, it's like a futuristic movie, and the world is overcome with overpopulation. And so they create measures where every mother is only allowed to have one child. So that would, in theory, stop the population from growing or maybe even shrinking um, if not every mother chooses to have a child. And if they have more children, well, they all have more children because everyone has twins and triplets due to genetically modified food. So with the extra children, the oldest one uh, gets to stay and have a normal life, and then the extra children get cryogenically frozen. So when they get the earth under control, they can bring them back. So that's that's a good setup, I would say. But what's really neat is that Philo's these seven uh, daughters, or these, I I don't know what you would call, it's not sextuplets, it would be the next one higher, right? Mm. But that doesn't really matter. They're seven twins, which I guess is the wrong way to say it, but that's the easy way to say it. They're seven twins, and they live in hiding, and then each one has a different name, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then like that person, they all live one life. So Monday goes out on Monday and lives the life of Karen, and then on Tuesday, Tuesday goes out and lives the life of Karen, and so on and so forth. So these seven girls live in hiding, and they each go out one day to live a life and throughout most of the movie they're adults and then of course finally the government catches on that there's you know there's uh there's these twins out there that they didn't you know get the other six and there should only be one and then that's kind of where the movie gets really exciting so this is a decent movie it's not like you know rogue one or or episode seven it's not a great movie like there's some there's some plot holes um the biggest one i noticed um was that since it's the future everyone has like a tracking bracelet and instead of the seven sisters um you know giving the bracelet on on to the next person the next day like their father created seven identical bracelets so then like the whole time you're like the government should know there's seven of them and so that's kind of annoying but everything else is pretty well done and uh it's a two-hour movie it totally held my attention all the way through it's just like one of those surprise netflix uh movies where you just watch it and end up like it ended up being pretty darn good i looked up a little bit about it it's is it a gung fu movie I don't know what gung fu is. <laughs> like, uh, like, well, there's a. Is it like an action movie? Is that kind of? Yeah, I would say it's uh, a little bit sci-fi, a little bit. Um, I don't know what the word futuristic, but yeah, there's a lot of action, a lot of fighting, both hand-to-hand combat. Oh yeah, I forgot to mention it's freaking violent. So like, don't watch this with your kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, like e- yeah. Equilibrium, and that's an old one, but that's like a gung fu, fu movie. Okay. And, and John Wick, I think would would be classified as that, uh, where the guns are the highlighted like combat thing where it's kind of weird combination of melee and firing uh that wouldn't be practical in real life yeah but but is uh works really good in an action movie Um, it's yeah i yeah the violence like i like a violent movies i like that fantasy aspect and um i can't think of anything like uh, a history of violence is one of my favorites where obviously i wouldn't want anything like that to happen in real life but from uh taking me away to a place that doesn't exist like i like gritty stuff like that quentin tarantino and the like um but what happened to monday on netflix the uh, violent actiony futuristic just fascinating tale like the whole like the build up the concept i I just find really interesting awesome 
So my, my pick's a little uh, bit of a downer uh, compared to yours, um, but but it's free right now. On <laughs> yours P- has the bad kind of violence. <laughs> right, yeah, this is the real violence. Um, it's the uh, the Vietnam War movie, movie uh, documentary from Ken Burns. And right now, if you go to pbs.org, I think it is, you can actually watch the entire uh, documentary for free. It's quite long. It's 18 hours. Um, I haven't watched all of it yet. But uh, I, what I will say about it is, as a documentary, it does a really good job of um, a lot of documentaries. There's uh, someone has a take, and this this is good that it's it's from the outside. Um, uh, it's it's very heavily researched. The narrator isn't offering up a an opinion or anything like that. Um, those are brought up by by uh, the sort of talking head interviews of uh people who who were were in this and what's really interesting and fascinating to me about it is it goes into the causal uh history of of the war as far back as the 1800s uh to bring you up to speed of how this happened and and uh what i really appreciate about most of all is that it's a it's a 50 50 uh portrayal of the war from the vietnamese people and the Americans. Oh, that's interesting. And so that's a side of the war that that isn't represented much. And um, to have it be sort of equal like that is, I think, really fascinating. Um, and and just seeing, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of politics in it, but but as a documentary, um, the amount of work that had to have gone in this, I think it was a decade in the making. Wow. Um, and the research and everything involved, it, it, the in, in particular the way that they show each president, because uh, the war was uh, five presidents that, that this thing went through, and the way that they sh- highlight behind-the-scenes conversations that they had, recordings, and then literally the same day when they say something in the public, how it doesn't match up, and how they're struggling behind the scenes with, with the sort of the futility of it all. Um, but they're sort of politically trapped. Uh, it's it's really fascinating, and I definitely recommend if you're younger and you all you know of the Vietnam War is a couple of movies, then this is something to watch to really um, sort of flesh out your your knowledge. And and I think that there's a lot of uh, uh, how do I put it? There, there's just a lot of um, it's a perspective that ha- I haven't been seen uh, shown on the war that I think is really interesting and um, yeah, it's, it's definitely worth, worth uh, watching it. It's, it doesn't have a particular uh, say in, in, in a political sort of, sort of speak way of it, um, except that it does portray it. It's uh, you can, there's two versions of the documentary. There's an explicit version and then there's four broadcast. So if you are going to watch it and you have uh, you know, if it's for somebody younger, you maybe want somebody that you know that the younger to watch it or something like that. There, there's a, a sort of a, a kind of PG version of it. Um, right. But, uh, it's it's interesting and in uh, kind of a little side note. There's uh, music from Trent Reznor in it, which I thought was interesting, um, and and a few other composers, Yo Yo Ma and, and things like that. I think pr- contribute as well to the score. Um, but it's it's really interesting, and I, I definitely recommend it. It's quite long, but it's broken up into uh, two-hour sessions. Um, nice. So, yeah. All right. Ken Burns, The Vietnam War on PBS, and What Happened to Monday, Netflix. Awesome. 
Moving on, the cheap games segment. Collecting retro games can be expensive, but it doesn't have to be. So on this segment, we talk about a couple of games that cost $10 or less uh, today, right now. So I will go first. Uh, My pick, weirdly, I can't believe I didn't talk about this game on this podcast before, and that's Life Force for the NES. Um, There were no buy it nows, uh, weirdly enough, on eBay uh, when I checked before recording. Um, uh, There are five under $10 uh, right now that you can bid on. uh, But when I bounced over to the sold, uh, they ranged from uh, eight to $10. Uh, Five of them uh, have sold for under $10, so it definitely fits. Um, but Life Force is kind of one of those games I'm surprised it's that cheap because this is one of the better, if not the best, at least American uh, shmups on the NES. And this is a horizontal shooter. It's a vertical shooter. It's got a classic Konami soundtrack. Um, the visual style to me is still interesting because it's not like your typical you know, spaceship shooter. It's not your typical military shooter. It's kind of got this weird alien organic style through all of the levels and uh, it's just really interesting to look at and then of course i believe in america at least this kind of introduced us to the upgrade system where you can collect power-ups and a bar moves along the bottom of the screen so for speed or options or other things and you kind of get to choose your path of upgrade is this related to that movie of the same era no it's related to gradius (laughs) oh okay i was like what But the real reason I recommend this is because with the Konami code, um, anybody can beat this game. Like, if you, Matthew, go and try that, you'll probably beat it on your second try. It's a very beatable game with the Konami code, and then you can kind of... What does that mean, even (laughs) me? What? No, um, yeah, I didn't peg you for like a <laughs> shmup expert. No, not <laughs> not quite. I've gotten in the zone with uh, Super R Type uh, back in oh, the nice. day. But oh, that's a that's one of my favorites. Yeah, but um, but yeah, I'll, I'll, Life Force on the NES. It's just a very playable game, and the fact that like I with the Konami code, like on my second try, I whizzed right through it, and it was really great. And because of that, then you can keep replaying it over and over, and because you know you're going to reach the end, you get to kind of learn everything as it goes without hitting you know dreaded game over screens constantly. Um, so that is probably my favorite part about it: is just you can beat it, you can get through it. If you've never played it or never beat it, and you are going to try though, at the very end when you beat the final boss there's like this weird section where you're supposed to like move back and forth and dodge things you could just camp at the top center of the screen and avoid it all um it's probably the hardest part in the game but you can basically skip it so that would help you beat it too but um the game does have a lot of flicker like a lot of nes shmups um there's just too many sprites per scan line for the system to properly display them all so you get all the flicker but still under ten dollars and that's kind of amazing for a spaceship shooter from the uh from the 80s yeah so mine's mine's uh a ps1 game and it's in the psychosis world and it is wipeout what? 3 nice and the reason why i'm recommending well okay so wipeout xl of the three games released on the ps1 wipeout xl is, is my favorite um and it's and i know that the reason why is purely nostalgia um i played all of them when they came out um but excel uh musically had sort of um what was in my wheelhouse at the time the the type of techno that was in was featured in it um and uh 
there was a lot of fixes to the game that, that the first Wipeout had and that was really uh, bothered me. And it's the one I played the most. But I think that Wipeout 3 is the technically better game uh, all around. Um, a lot of graphical glitches that happen on PS1 is fixed in this one. The soundtrack is like... If you like ambient techno, it is amazing. Um, it is it is a really good soundtrack, and it it has uh, it was uh, like I think they had a guy, uh, somebody who is a DJ, work with uh, other musicians to to sort of curate and create the soundtrack, and it's it's just so well put together. Um, it, it's all ambient. Um, the game itself. The other Wipeout games tended to be a bit darker in, uh, like, lighting, kind of mirroring uh, the aesthetic that was pretty popular back then of um, Blade Runner, is what I want to say. Oh, yeah. Wipeout 3 goes in a completely different direction and makes it, it lightens it up and makes it daytime a lot, a lot of the time. And, and, and so it has, uh, visually, it's just kind of completely different, which I think is partly why it's, it's not as well... Um, remembered i guess you could say um as say wipeout excel but i definitely recommend it it is uh the better of the three i will say uh begrudgingly um but (laughs) just because i have such a fondness for excel but i have to be honest about it and and this is the only one left that that is cheap for the console so pick it up now and uh if you're into those kind of uh futuristic racers I believe I have owned Wipeout 3, and if I'm not mistaken, this is one of the few PlayStation 1 games that actually support anamorphic widescreen. Really? That I didn't know. That's fascinating. Mm -hmm. Huh. I know. I'll have to take advantage of that sometime. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's like uh i don't know how many saturn games and playstation there's not even a lot of dreamcast games that are anamorphic widescreen just a handful but yeah uh this should be unless my memory has mistaken me and i owned wipeout excel or something i believe wipeout 3 is 16 by 9 wow. it has that anamorphic option and it's not like some weird cropping or other bs i believe it's just good old correct anamorphic that's awesome well there's another reason Right on. All right. This is going to be a short question, but a long answer. And this comes from longtime listener to Quick Capri, who asks, have you seen this video of the guy who made the 3D levels in Toy Story Genesis explaining how he did it? And then he gives a link uh, to Game Hut, uh, all one word, on YouTube. And weirdly enough, I did stumble across Game Hut uh, this week on YouTube, and I watched a vast majority of his videos. What's amazing about this channel is this is John Burton. He, if you've played any of the classic Traveler's Tales games, you will see him near the top of the credits as a producer, director, or designer for a lot of classic 90s games. Um, so not only is it cool that this game hunt has all this cool stuff. It's Traveler's Tales, which is awesome. And it's like from the guy, the guy, John Burton himself, who is a fascinating video game developer. He's done programming, directing, the whole nine. Uh, but he was also the co-producer of the Lego Batman movie, which is just like a fascinating career. <laughs> like, I guess he got in with Disney because they made a lot of Disney games. You know, that's it's funny. There's another tie-in um, with Wipeout. Uh <laughs> to bring it into that but the 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 one of the designers that worked on the original wipeout and excel uh later 
moved on to to film that's kind of weird yeah that would that would happen and it's just a creative guy yes yeah but i know we're running near the end and i didn't know how long this would go i really thought we were just gonna really get hung up on uh you know the nes mini (laughs) (laughs) just kidding uh but i'm i'm a huge fan of traveler's tales i've beaten quite a few it was a big part of my childhood and uh, a few more that i haven't beat but i just kind of wanted to touch on some of the traveler's tale games that i've owned and uh, maybe you have some thoughts as well so mickey mania on the sega cd one of their very first games have you ever played mickey mania i have not i have it i liked it so much this i actually got a long time ago at the midwest gaming classic for 10 bucks but the sega cd version goes for a bit more than that like everything does in the sega cd but mickey mania on the sega cd is an awesome platformer still pretty good on the genesis um and the super nintendo one of those games that runs in a lower resolution on the super nintendo though 256 wide instead of 320 yeah um still playable um it was also in europe released as mickey's wild adventure on the playstation so a whole overhaul but european only um and i think it's still on the playstation network if you're in europe i'm not 100 percent because i don't live there <laughs> but that's what people tell me so mickey mania is pretty amazing this one was a part of my childhood and that's toy story on sega genesis also on the super nintendo i yeah no dice um no i i've played the uh so is this different than the uh, the Genesis one? This is the Genesis one. Oh, sorry. I thought you said, for some reason, I thought you said SNES. Yeah, I've played oh, it's I've on played that. that. Too. I've played that. Absolutely. Gotcha. Yeah. Did you, I never beat it as a kid, but for the channel, I believe this year, I did finally beat it straight up. No cheat codes. Yeah, no, I, I didn't beat it myself either. I think it's I may have rented ridiculously it. ridiculously hard. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was one of those games that I rented and every time I'm like, that's why I don't, I, I swore I'd never rent this again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I do, I do remember that being a game. I kept going, oh man, this game was great. And then getting it and being like, oh God. <laughs> I want to chuck my controller through the room. Yeah, there's there's a boss inside the claw machine that is uh, ridiculously mean and hard. And then uh, there's a couple of levels in Sid's room, which are ridiculously hard. Um, so, yeah, it's not the most balanced game in the world. But visually, for my money, the best looking game you can get on the Genesis. Yeah, it's it blows me away still when you when you plug that thing on and the scrolling and you're just like, it's, what is going on here? How are they doing? Yeah, this? it's. It's stunning. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. St- there, Mickey Mania has some really neat effects. And then there was going to be a Mickey Mania 2. One of the things I learned from watching this channel. Um, but instead of making Mickey Mania 2, they moved on and did Toy Story instead. Really fascinating channel. Check out Game Hut. After that, they did some work for Sega and Sonic with Sonic 3D Blast, uh, which I've played on both the Saturn and Genesis. Never actually beat the final boss, though. I haven't played that one. As we know. It is as good as a, an isometric platformer can be, which means it's just sort of mediocre. Yeah, I, I enjoy it because it's laid back, but it's kind of a, it's a bad concept. <laughs> well, I, I recall your review on it. Did You had an experience where you, you put it away and then you came back to it. Was that, am I making that up? Uh, I don't remember. Yeah. I don't know. I think I... I Probably shouldn't even talk about it since I hadn't beaten it, but I did review both versions and then do like a comparison video. Yeah, but I really I have not beat the final boss. Sad to say. Well, I don't think it's going to tarnish your sterling reputation as a. No, I'll be fine. <laughs> I'll beat it someday. Yeah. And then Sonic R, which was one of my very first Saturn games, weirdly enough. 
Yeah. Also released on the PC and then later released on the Sonic Sonic Gem Collection for the GameCube, which I just picked up and can't wait to try. No joy Sonic, for me. <laughs> Sonic CD or Sonic R would be the only 3D game on the Saturn. There was um oh, I forget what it was called. There was there was like a compilation on the Saturn. I've already forgotten what it's called. It's got Sonic 1, 2, 3, and Knuckles. Um, and it had like a 3D museum, and you could control 3D Sonic through a 3D world. It actually controlled really well. It was really interesting, um, but never released as a full game. But Sonic R was made by Traveler's Tales and is uh, the only 3D, 3D Sonic game on the Saturn. I enjoy the game, but the controls are absolute trash. But the game is still fun to me. Next, Disney Pixar A Bug's Life. I picked this up on the PlayStation. It's like a $5 game. I haven't played it yet, but I usually look at Disney games and then see who made it. It's a Traveler's Tales, so I bought it and I will play through it someday. I've I've played a bit of it. It's it's surprisingly decent. Um Oh yeah. Given- Traveler's Tales was like the king of surprisingly decent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's funny um the same with uh uh, I'm looking through a list too here, and Rascal, which was uh, published by Psygnosis, um, that was a Traveler's Tales game, and I think it gets a lot of slack. But um, every time that I've sat down and, and checked it out, I've I've been impressed by it, um, yeah. and I feel like I feel like again, it's that not knowing if you're coming in later and coming to these games, you're going to be like, oh, these are awful. But when you know that when you're like the the era. You know, it it actually mm-hmm. kind of changes a perspective a bit. I I feel like, and Rascal is one of those ones where I um when you start up, it's kind of surprising. Do you remember what system that is? Uh, that's on. I think that's on the PlayStation as well. Okay. Uh, the, the yeah, the PS One. But nice. Yeah, I can't wait to play that. I I just I've always been a fan of Traveler's Tales. Uh, Crash Bandicoot: The Wrath of Cortex. Of course, the first time I believe Naughty Dog didn't make the game. Uh, pretty mixed reception among the fan base. I think Crash Bandicoot The Wrath of Cortex is a great platformer. Maybe not the best Crash game, but a great platformer. I beat this on the GameCube, which is not the version you want. That only runs at uh, 30 frames per second. The PlayStation 2 version has some seriously long load times, um, but the Xbox, that's probably the version you want. That's 60 frames per second, no load time issues, and Crash Bandicoot has fur shading. What I will say uh, is <laughs> that I would take a great Crash Bandicoot platformer over a great Crash Bandicoot game any day. <laughs> and I'm going to get, I'm going to, if ever, if anyone sees me on the street, I'm going to get shot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like Wrath of, so you're saying you like Wrath of Cortex or no? Um, what I'm saying is that I am not too much of a fan of the original Crash Bandicoot games. Um, gotcha. But this one, uh, if I'm not mistaken, this is where they really open it up, right? Where... It, Twin Sanity is when the series changed, but Wrath of Cortex very much feels like the classic games. And maybe the difficulty is lowered compared to the originals, and that's why I liked it so much, because I guess I'm bad at Crash games. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Twin Sanity was also... Um, oh, it still keeps with the, the rails, kind of? No, Twin Sanity is when they open it up. Oh, okay. okay. And they finally change the formula. All right, and that's after Wrath of Cortex. Yes, correct, sorry. (laughs) Wrath of Cortex is like the fourth game, um, where it's very much like the first three, and then Twin Sanities when they changed it to be more like other 3D platformers. That's I've only played that game for like an hour, and I can't, I I just don't know how to feel about it. (laughs) 
However, Finding Nemo, which is on all three sixth-gen consoles, is a very mediocre game. They're all basically underwater levels, sometimes third-person, sometimes side view, and it's about what you would expect, a bunch of water levels. (laughs) (laughs) Then, of course, Lego Star Wars, which is all Traveler's Tales makes now is Lego games. But uh, I have put some time into Lego Star Wars, uh, the video game for the Xbox. I actually think I've almost beaten it. I've beaten the first two stories, but not quite the third. Or I have beaten the whole game. I don't recall. Um, it's a very enjoyable and likable game, and I would like to play through it a couple of times to get more of the, the depth that I know is there that I haven't found. Um, but I do have like recorded footage, and whenever I talk about Traveler's Tales, I just have this default footage I always use for the video, recorded from Lego Star Wars. And he- the thing I'll say about the Lego games now as a parent, because um, <laughs> I get to wear that cap. Yeah. And I get to go, well, as a parent. But, like, when I think about games and I think about what am I going to play with with, uh, with my little girl when she gets bigger, um, because she's already trying to help me out with Sonic. And um, But I think the Lego games are the perfect uh, plus parent games where you're, yeah. you're really kind of dr- carrying the load. Um, but it has, it has things in there for you to, to keep you excited about it. Um, but it's definitely an absolutely a game designed for you to play with a little one. <laughs> and I appreciate that tremendously oh. because I'm realizing now how few games there actually are like that. Yeah, yeah that's a very, you, yeah, yeah, very good point. Yeah. And then lastly, this is kind of like a hidden gem, I think. Maybe I'm wrong, but Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe. Uh, It's on the Xbox. I've put a few hours into it on the Xbox. Um, I'm surprised I didn't end up reviewing this game. I don't know what happened. Um, But this actually feels very much like a Lego game. Um, So where you kind of have the zoomed out view in a large area and you have to collect a few things, um, complete a few tasks. And if you fail, you're really not put that far behind. Um but a little more interesting visually and gameplay wise, but like very much feels like a Lego game. So if you really dig the Lego games or, you know, you're just looking for something in that vein, check out Chronicles of Narnia, the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Um, actually, no, this was released on all the six gen systems. And I think it's also available on the PS3 for some reason, maybe the PlayStation Network. I'm not sure. And it's a pretty good looking game. If I remember, yeah, it's, 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 it's uh, very surprisingly I don't know. Oh, you've played this or no? Um, a little bit. Uh, okay, I nice. have a weird insight because I test a lot of games. Um, oh, that's right. <laughs> so I'll be able to go like, I know the first three levels of this game or whatever. But uh, yeah, this one in particular, I was really surprised at, at the look of it. Um, it's surpri- It's a surprisingly good looking game for, for the for the era. Um, and just yeah i mean you just think it's a licensed game it's i've never seen chronicles of narnia it's little after or it's a yeah a little after my time but the game i was impressed with the gameplay it when i was compiling this list i'm like oh that's when i need to go back and visit yeah so that's kind of my experience with traveler's tales awesome games in the 90s awesome games in the 2000s and uh if you like traveler's tales check out game hut on youtube awesome yeah, I would say Psygnosis is is what what uh, Traveler's Tales is for for you. I think in in a lot of ways. Um, nice, just like this quirky little developer that you sort of followed throughout the years. Yeah, in partic- in particular with the uh, fifth fifth gen um, 
titles uh i just have very fond uh, memories anytime i saw that i knew that i could trust that i was in for something at least different or interesting or maybe more of the same but well done you know when you play a travel i'm sure there's exceptions but generally speaking i'm not sure if travelers tales of ever really made like an amazing game but all of their games are like between good and pretty good or maybe even great they're just they're all well above average it's kind of amazing really yeah that's that's how i feel pretty much the same with with uh psychosis it's just they didn't yeah. make crappy games. <laughs> yeah, they just they they did their best and they they made some uh, some titles that stuck with me and and uh, I always remember enjoying. Perfect. On that note, that is going to do it for today's episode. If you'd like to leave a comment or a question, hit us up on Twitter. I am at Implant. He is Cricket, K-R-I-K-I-T, and use hashtag IPG Podcast. Otherwise, leave a comment on Facebook.com slash Implant Games or the website ImplantGames.com. And until next time, guys, have a great two weeks. <laughs>